Welcome to the podcast, Science of High Paid, High Performing, Happy Engineers. The show to help engineers develop all skills non-technical. My name is Aditya Gute and I'm a speaker and a performance coach for engineers to transform them into rock stars because I believe there's a rock star hiding inside each one of you and it just needs to be brought outside to uncover your full potential as an engineer. Today we have Stephanie Slocum. She's an engineer, author, and entrepreneur. As a founder of Engineers Rising LLC, she helps engineers own their influence and worth so they can be recognized as the superstars they are and rock their careers on their own terms. She has a bachelor's and master's degree in architectural engineering and spent 15 years working her way up to the corporate ranks as a structural engineer and engineering project manager before founding her own company in 2018. Her book, She Engineers, Outsmart Bias, Unlock Your Potential and Living the Engineering Career of Your Dreams has rocketed to bestseller status in its category multiple times on amazon.com since its 2018 release. She's the creator of Fearless Program, the first of its kind virtual group mentoring and career development program specifically designed for women in engineering. She's also the creator of the Engineering Influencer Bootcamp, a quick seven, quick start seven step challenge program designed to help you increase your influence at work. As a technical professional with self-taught business skills, an introvert who is now paid to speak, and an author who was told engineers aren't writers. She's living proof that engineering, engineering rock stars are made, not born. She's here today to share, some, to share both her own journey and tools you can use to be a high-performing engineer. Welcome, Stephanie. It's a pleasure to have you. You are a true rock star engineer, and we would love to ha- hear more about what you have to share on how other engineers can unlock their rock stars. Well, thank you so much for having me here today. Um, I just, I really strongly believe that, as you said, engineering rock stars are made, not born. And I'm excited to share some of the tips and tools along the way that I've learned so that our listeners can also rock their own careers. Um, okay, so a little bit about my story and my background. Um, I, as you said, I have a master's and a bachelor's degree in architectural engineering. Uh, and I worked as a structural engineer for 15 years in the architecture, engineering, construction industry, which in that industry we refer to as AEC. Uh, and I worked my way up the corporate ranks, you know, getting promoted at reasonable times uh, and all that, all that good stuff. Uh, and along the way, I noticed, like clearly I'm a woman in engineering, uh, along the way, I noticed a number of things, some of them seemingly related to gender, others not, uh, about what, engineers that are like the high performers. Uh, For a long time, I was really interested in like the people who became principals and owners, uh, directors of their departments, what they specifically did um, to get to those positions. 
and so a couple years ago, um, so I'm a huge proponent of like every engineering rock star has their own unique set of skills and talents that if they can tap into those, they can really have the career they want to have on their own terms. Uh, for me, I've always loved writing. Uh, and so I put all these things I had learned along the way into the book, She Engineers, that you had referenced in the intro. Uh, and I put that out into the world in 2018, so a little over uh, two years ago. Uh, when I did that, so at the time, I put this book out to, into the world. It was a complete side project. It was definitely a passion project of mine that I wanted to put out there. Uh, because I also feel that if you know something that can help someone else, then you should share it. Uh, yeah. And so I, I put that out there. And I was still working, you know, as we know, engineering jobs are not 40 hours a week. Uh, they're way more than that for the most part. And so I was still working for someone else at that time. Uh, pretty soon after that, so we had more than a thousand downloads the first week. And pretty soon after that, uh, I got asked to go speak to uh, young professionals, women in engineering groups, um, those sorts of groups. And I started taking like vacation days to go share the stuff, some of the stuff I shared in the book and other things I'd learned with these groups. Um, pretty quickly after that, I realized that um, doing both things was not sustainable. And for me, it's always been like, how can I have the most impact in the engineering industry? Uh, and so I had this kind of unknown thing related to the book and whatever that might morph into. Obviously, speaking was going to be part of it. And then I had this, um, I should say at the time, like comfortable engineering job that I was really good at um, and enjoyed that, you know, using that technical part and design part of my brain as well. Um, as I said, for me, it was kind of looking inside, trusting my intuition that how do I think I can have the biggest impact in this industry? And for me, it was going full on, all in with the book stuff. Um, so about 18 months ago, I resigned from my full-time engineering job to focus on teaching and training and helping um, other engineers become, as you so aptly put it, and I love your mission, by the way, uh, helping you. other people become rock stars. Yeah. I love your story and I can totally resonate uh, with what you said. And, and by the way, I read to, to the audiences who are listening to this podcast, I've read Stephanie Slocum's book and it's a she engineers. It's a brilliantly written book. Uh, I think, I mean, even though it looks like it is uh, targeted for uh, women, but it is actually for all engineers. I got a lot of takeaways and I think every engineer who is, who is only the engineers who wants to be rock stars, who rock stars and who wants to grow in their career should definitely read the book because everything that you need to be able to grow in your career, you can get tips from that book. So thank you, Stephanie, for offering that to this world. And again, it's such a pleasure to have you. So uh, I have, you know, again, I read your book and um, I have a couple of questions uh, after reading through the book. I have a couple of questions that I thought you might be able to expand on uh, to also help our audience to understand what kind of things, uh, topics are being covered in the book. Um, the first thing is, uh, you, know, you know, engineers, as engineers, we have, you know, we have egos. Uh, <laughs> we want to be right. And, and again, you know, many times that's what gets us into the job like you were sharing in the book. Uh, so how do you balance that? You know, but that attitude also makes us feel isolated, people don't like us in, uh, a lot, and this, that causes a lot of conflicts at work as well. So 
what's your suggestion how you can balance uh, being right versus letting it, letting things go? That is such a great question. Thank you so much for asking it. So I feel like this often comes up because as, as we go through school, we were initially attracted to engineering for the most part because we liked math and science. We liked the rightness of there is a right and a wrong answer. And then as we're going through our careers, like people look to us, our clients look to us to give them judgment calls, correct engineering judgment calls, uh, or else we wouldn't have a job for very long, on our areas of technical expertise. So we are very diligent, we're very detail-oriented, and our brains love, you know, the, the black and white, pardon the cliche, of a correct and a not correct answer. Absolutely. So I think the challenge comes whenever we try and apply that same uh, mentality to working on a team with our coworkers, or even worse, managing a team. Um, because when you look at like what do high performing, so we have high performing engineering individuals, which I imagine all the listeners uh, are, but then we also have high performing teams. And how do, you, how do you get to a high performing team? You have to build trust among the team. So if you as a team member are always insistent that you're right and whatever anyone else says is not going to be maybe as right as you are, um, you have a recipe for pretty much disaster on, on your engineering teams. Um, so one of, the, one of the things that I've always liked to do uh, on my teams is that, you know, yes, I want to be right too. You want to be right. I, I, under, I understand that completely. <laughs> um, but uh, one of my mentors gave me this mantra to repeat in your head, ask, don't tell. So before you, you know, say, you know, unless directly asked, obviously, that this is what we should go do, ask the team members, ask your coworkers, ask other people what they think and why, so that you can include that in, in what you're thinking. Because a lot of what, you know, engineering rock stars do is they're not engineering rock stars because they are always the smartest person in the room. They're engineering rock stars because they're really good at building consensus and creating this environment where high-performing teams can thrive to deliver outstanding projects to our engineering clients. Yeah, I think uh, that, sums it, uh, that sums it up very well. It's, uh, it's not just about being right, ask questions, be curious, because it's about the team. If you want to be a really good, I mean, if you want to be a rock star, it's not just about you. It's about, you know, asking questions to other team members, getting their consensus. So you're, you're putting together something concrete, uh, which is just not your opinion, but, uh, but considering the opinion from all team members. Exactly. Great. Um, and, and, and also another thing you talk about is how, uh, which, which is super cool. And I love it. And to a point that I actually use uh, your sentence in some of the speeches that I do, uh, which is being able to connect to the mission of the company, what you're doing to the mission of the company. Can you expand, and again, especially as an engineer, when I started off my career, I'm like, tell me what I need to do. Uh, mm -hmm. I know these skills, I'll just, I'll just put my head down and get it done. 
and I have no idea yeah. what's going to happen. And of course, in the, in the beginning, as long as you're learning technology, it might work out. But you start questioning, what am I doing? Uh, and so, so tell me, uh, I would love to hear why it is important and uh, maybe what can, maybe let's start with that. Why is it? Okay. Um, okay, man, it is so important for so many different reasons. And, and I completely resonate with what you just said as well about, you know, maybe the first couple of years of your career, you were probably so focused on learning the various technical things you needed to learn that connecting with your customer was kind of an afterthought. You were like, learn, learn, learn all the technical things I need to do well. Um, but then a lot of us hit this point where we kind of hit some sort of a plateau. We're still learning a whole bunch of technical things, but we hit some sort of a plateau where you start to think, you know, when you revise the code for the 10th time, uh, what does this mean? Um, for me, so in the architecture, engineering, construction space, um, they want the engineers to be licensed. So for a lot of engineers in that space, it's about five years in after they've gotten enough experience to get this license that we experience this feeling of maybe disconnect, discontent would be the best, yeah. best word to go yeah. with right now. Um, and what I found is to get out of that and to take your career kind of up to the next, next plane, the next level, that understanding what your role is in the big picture of what impact is your engineering work having for your customer is what asking yourself that question and really understanding that is the difference between an engineer who is fulfilled and one that's just filling a role. Now, why does that matter? Because that sounds kind of like hooey, like, okay, like you're paid to do a job. Who cares if you're happy in it? What we know is that engineers and employees, and this doesn't just apply to engineers, um, we know that people who are fulfilled in what they're doing, who are engaged in what they're doing, are much more likely to become high performers. Um, so it's a understanding where exactly what you're doing fits into the, the bigger picture. Let me give you a quick example. Um, so let's say that you were you know, working on a code and like I said, I, I am not a uh, computer engineer, but I did have to take several computer engineering classes. I remember trying to like wanting to chuck my computer out the window when I fixed one error and got 15 different errors after that. Um, and so let's say you are revising something and you say, oh, well, I'm revising this um, for, because I have user data that says, you know, X percentage of users are having this issue. Let's change that narrative a bit. So what happens if X percent, if one user has this issue with this particular piece of software, what problem does that cause them? Well, if you were to talk to the user, you find out that that sets them back two weeks. It makes them look bad to their client. And now they're bad mouthing your software and the company you work for all because we're looking at it as a pure number as opposed to a, what is the story that goes along with this? What impact are you having? Um, and let me give you a second example that's from my yes. own personal experience. Yes. Um, so 
in architecture and construction, I mean, there's all sorts of buildings, right? We have houses, we have hospitals, we have labs, we have university buildings, we have Walmarts. Um, and for me, what I noticed is that I could do, I would have, you know, three or four projects at the same time, and I would check off all the technical boxes, um, you know, double check everything, everything went out, it was, you know, built in, in budget, in schedule, and all of that. But what I found was that there were certain types of projects that got a little bit of an extra effort. Um, and not necessarily because I was conscious about it, just because I loved working on that kind of projects. Um, and a lot of those kinds of projects, interestingly enough, would be the kinds of projects that uh, were helping people. So for me, like I love helping people. Um, so like the hospitals, labs, the university buildings. And what I noticed is that that had an impact on my career in that when I worked on those kinds of projects, I was more likely to get a call back from the client for the next project, which has a very definable dollar line value to my employers. Um, so this is why, you know, having that connection is critically uh, important. Uh, oh, and I, can I say one more thing about this one? Please. <laughs> Before we go to the next, next discussion. Um, the other thing is that a lot of times when you're looking at that connection to your client, it causes you to be curious about other things, um, maybe what other departments are doing. So you, like, you know your engineering stuff, um, but it may cause you to be curious about, okay, what's, what's somebody in a different engineering department doing relative to the same client? Um, sometimes when you get curious, and especially when you work for large companies, that might cause you to move into different roles. Uh, we call that cross-training. And the reason I bring this up is because there was like a LinkedIn study done of all these like high-performing management executives that essentially showed that one year of cross-training within a different role was the equivalent of three years of experience elsewhere and worth more than even like an MBA for any of our listeners out there um, who are thinking about, you know, MBA business sorts of things. Um, so once again, like all this comes back to is being curious and connecting your work with your clients. Wow, that's very powerful. And Stephanie, you just saved our audience about $100,000 from going to B school. Then they can utilize this cross-training skills to and be curious about what they're doing. Uh, and what you said uh, is very powerful. And I love your energy, by the way. Your passion comes off when you're sharing this. And, and it's really, and, and, may, and even many people talk about this, it's really discovering why you're doing what you're doing. And, and that's what it boils down to. And so uh, it, that brings me to a, an, another question, which is that, you know, we don't, as engineers, we don't want to ask too many questions. I think you referenced this in, in, in your book as well. Mm -hmm. um, so especially when it comes to women, it is a whole different dynamic. Uh, when uh, women ask, uh, 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 and you mentioned this book in this year, in, in this your book, this in your book is when a woman asks questions, she's looked at in, uh, she was looked at, she'll be looked at in a certain way as opposed to when a gentleman asks a question. Um, so, what's your suggestion, uh, you know, in general for engineers about asking questions to get curious? Uh, and especially if you have anything specific uh, to share with the, for the women engineers on how they are perceived typically. 
Got it. Oh man, how long do you have? Do we have like a three hour window here to discuss this particular topic? Um, okay. So first, let me just say like men or women, I, I feel like we're definitely perceived differently, but I want to speak directly to the asking questions question because back to the discussion that engineers want to be right. Um, I don't know about you, but my instinct, if I don't know something, is to like hop on the internet and do a whole lot of research before I, I even ask anyone else the question. Uh, and this was yeah. true. <laughs> I have my own company now. Uh, it's, it's less true now than it used to be, but it certainly was true, especially when I started out in my engineering career, because I'm like, is my manager going to think this is like a completely dumb question? Um, and so, like, to be blunt, like, we have to get over that. Um, there is someone out there that knows the things that you need to know to continue moving forward. Uh, this is one of the reasons why one of the things we always talk about is, like, find a mentor. Find more than one mentor. Um, because that can shortcut your ability to rise to be a high performer, which of course, like a high performer, I feel like that's not a destination, right? It's a journey. Like we're constantly trying to improve yeah. and get better. Um, and, and so it, it's, it's each day moving that a little bit forward. But on the asking questions, there is nothing that can shortcut your ability to learn than asking questions of the right people. Um, and, and so I encourage you, like, if that, if that doesn't help you do that, the other thing I will say is anyone that becomes, wants to become a rock star engineer one day is going to need to manage and train other, hopefully, rock star engineers, right? The younger ones behind you. Um, and so in order to do that, you need to understand the whys and the, and the why we do things this way. Um, so I feel like in a lot of engineering organizations, we're told, oh, like, here's our set of standards that we're doing things to, and this is just how our company does, does that. Uh, and it's easy, and it's a lot of times convenient, because then you'd have to, you know, go ask a tough question about, okay, why do we do it this way? Yet, if you don't, when you get up to a higher level, you won't know why, and how are you going to train the, the next level? Let's not perpetuate the cycle of more low-performing people. Um, let's help make everybody rise up to the top. Um, so that, that's, I wanted to talk about that with the specific thing about questions. Um, now, as to like things uh, women in engineering specifically uh, would find helpful, um, and clearly I can't go through like the whole She Engineers book in this time frame. Um, I would say probably the one of the a helpful tool. So just like apply this next time you go to your meeting. Um, so what we found, and men who want to be allies for women in engineering and that support like diverse teams, you want to pay attention to this one too. Um, so a lot of times what we find is that women in engineering are often like the only one or one of a few in their meetings. And when they go to a meeting, or I mean this, I've had this happen even on conference calls, they'll often get uh, talked over, cut off. Um, now, not to say that that will not happen to men too, but from a statistical standpoint, it happens to women much, much more often. Um, as a result, it's that much more difficult um, for them to kind of use their skills 
to magnify their rock star talents uh, because no one will listen to you, right? Uh, it's hard to get your ideas across. Um, so one of the things we talk about doing is there, there's a whole bunch of different ways you can, you can get around that. Um, if you're in a room with someone and you watch this happen, you can say, oh, well, I would like to go back to what Emily said. Um, and that can happen if you're, if you're a guy too, you could say it, you know, I want to go back and hear what Paul said. Uh, the, but the biggest thing is just the whole like speaking up. So that's one. And then building alliances with other people in your organization. Um, and those are the two I, I think I want to give today because um, alliances will help all of our rockstar engineers, not just the women in engineering. Uh, but what we found is that specifically for women in engineering, for example, like the mentor thing we were just talking about, um, women in engineers with mentors are more likely to, oh, excuse me one minute. Okay. Women in engineering that have mentors are more likely to stay in the industry. Um, they're more likely to rise up through the ranks. Um, it's very specifically like if they have a female mentor. Uh, we haven't, we've seen the same correlation for men with mentors and that if they have a mentor, um, they're more likely to, you know, rise to the rock star levels. Um, but we haven't seen the same correlation with the gender of the mentor. Um, so to rephrase that, anyone with a mentor is more likely to become a rock star. Women who have a female engineering mentor um, can magnify that for themselves. Um, so for everybody listening, if you don't have a mentor, if you feel like you don't have a good relationship with your a mentor, go find a mentor when we get done with this discussion today. Uh, and those are really powerful uh, tips, uh, Stephanie. And, and one particular thing I loved about what you just said is if there is a person in the room that you know are being cut off, whether it's a women or someone, you're seeing that, just support them. It's not, I mean, create that supportive community where people have the space to open up and you don't have to be a certain kind of an executive to be able to do that. You can do it as an engineer. You just want to, it's a simple thing ask, to ask. And, you know, like they say, when good karma, if, if you do that to others, maybe hopefully someday it will come back to you. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's exactly what we see and why like building alliances with your team members and people in the room is so critically important that if I speak up for someone, they're more likely to speak up for me. And I think the other really important thing to understand here is so like, I, you know, obviously I am a woman in engineering, but for most of my career, I was the only one or maybe one of two on these fairly large engineering teams. Um, and I, I definitely see gender as like part of who I am as an engineer, but not everything, not nearly everything. Um, and what I didn't understand for a very long time is that if you're seeing this go on and you aren't speaking up, then essentially you're complicit with what is going on. Um, and I've talked to so many men and women in engineering who are like, man, I, wanna, I want to be on a more diverse team. I want to support... Uh, diverse ideas and thoughts and different perspectives because I understand that's where innovation comes from. Um, but I don't know how to do it. And so this is just such a simple way that everyone um, can, can help our teams reach that higher performance level 
uh, where, I mean, I think we all know engineers in general, we have uh, a bad PR rep, right? We have this reputation for like not being communicators, for not being good team players. Um, and regardless of, of not whether that is true, I think a lot of the public doesn't understand what we do. Um, and part of this is because we aren't vocal about wanting to bring innovation and diverse ideas and, and things like that into our organizations. Um, so yeah, this is something that everybody can do uh, to, to help improve that woman in engineering, man in engineering, or anyone else in engineering. Yeah, and, and uh, she explains this topic in much detail in her book. So if you want to learn more, again, her book is the resource because there is only a certain things uh, we're going we will be able to cover in this short uh, podcast. Uh, and and just to add on to what you already said, Stephanie. Uh, I mean, getting these mentors, reaching out pe to people, it's not always uh, straightforward, and there is going to be a lot of rejections. And especially, I remember uh, reaching out to certain people, especially engineers. They want emails. So if I ask them, can we connect, and they would be like ask me the question via email. Uh, so they want everything to be, but, but again, you know, you can't uh, create personal connections to them. And there are people, so many people who just don't want to talk to you and that's fine, but there will be people who are there to support you. And like you said, Stephanie, there are people who just wants to be in diverse, diverse communities. They, because they see the importance of uh, having a diversified engineering groups, because that's where the ideas come from. And there are always people like that. And as you keep reaching out, you will find mentors who will support you. And that's how you can, uh, that's one of the ways you can quickly grow as uh, an engineer and expand your influence. So um, great point. Um, so moving on to the next uh, part of the section. Um, you've been doing research about uh, engineering entrepreneurs. So, uh, and you've been working a lot with them lately. So I'd love to uh, learn about what, what is uh, some of your research says and any new findings that you have that, that you can share with engineers. Awesome, thank you. Thank you for that question. One of my favorite topics of the moment. Yay! Um, so, <laughs> So this started, I, I feel like I myself am a kind of unlikely entrepreneur. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, because I think of, if we think of engineering entrepreneurs, so I start thinking of like Bill Gates or Elon Musk, yes. uh, Debbie Sterling, who founded Gold, Goldie Blocks. Um, you may have seen those. That's like a kid's toy company. Um, some of us may think of Steve Jobs. He wasn't really an engineer, but, or he was an engineer by degree at least. Um, but you know, you, you get the idea. We think of these yeah. really visionary, um, very like risk-taking sorts of people. And we're like, that is not me, right? Like raise your hand, anyone listening, if you are a very <laughs> risk adverse person, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so if you're listening, I did, I did, we did just both raise our hands. Um, but so we see that and we're like, man, that's, that's not me. This is not, this is not a good path to me. Well, it turns out there are different kinds of entrepreneurs. That's only one type. Um, and so I went uh, and kind of started to research this. And specifically, I was like, okay, well, what do engineering entrepreneurs do? Like, were they born entrepreneurs? Did they always know they wanted to do this? 
Uh, and then once I like started to look at that question, what I really wanted to know is, okay, what things do they do that are different? Like what things do they do that if either I wanted to become an entrepreneur or I just wanted to be a high performer in general, like that I can take and adopt into my own, uh, own lifestyle, you know, worker home. Um, and so I guess I want to, I could, this is another one I could talk about for a couple hours, but I think today I want to talk about two very specific things I noticed that these entrepreneurs were doing that seemed a little, one I don't think was too surprising, but the other one I thought was pretty surprising to me. Um, so the first one is in relationship to mindset. So if you think of your brain as kind of this iceberg, oh, upside down iceberg, like that, okay, um, <laughs> where only about 5% is stuff you think about consciously every day. And the other 95% is stuff that it's like the background of your brain. So if you've ever wondered how you can like go on your commute and you get to work and you don't actually remember any moment of your commute on your way to work, that's the unconscious part in the back of your brain working. Um, and so what these entrepreneurs do is they, I mean, yes, they're focused on the 5%, but they're really focused on the 95%. Uh, and specifically that comes out in, for example, how they look at failures and career setbacks. Um, to a T, so I've interviewed a bunch of these, uh, and to a T, when I asked them about failure, it was almost as if like the, the response would be failure, like everything is a learning experience. Uh, there, you know, if you have a challenge, it's simply a matter of figuring it out until you can solve it. Um, and along that same kind of mindset thing, not one of them looked at maybe circumstances that the rest of us would have said, well, no, they could have never even become an engineer at all. Their question was, how can I figure this out? Um, and, and I imagine that question, you know, seeing as we're talking to engineers, will resonate with a lot of our watchers. Like, how can I figure this out? Um, yeah. But, you know, looking at it from a I can figure it out and nothing that happens to me in my circumstances. I have a bad manager. Um, I have a bad, you know, a project that just doesn't go well. Um, there, there's a way to overcome it. Um, so that mindset piece was the first part. Uh, any, do you have any follow-up questions on that before I go to the second one? Uh, no, not, not okay. at this time. Okay. Just want to make sure. Um, okay. And the second one is related to habits. Um, so like, I'm sure we've all had this experience where uh, January one rolls around and we're like, we're gonna set some sort of New Year's resolution. Uh, and we set it and we're like all gun-ho motivated to do it. And then two weeks later, maybe three weeks, we're like, oh, well, yeah, we, we, that resolution is like, we're, we won't do that. <laughs> um, We've lost the motivation to do it at that point. Um, and so what these entrepreneurs do is they create these habits that don't require motivation, right? Like they, they have recognized that motivation is fleeting. Uh, it, will, it will go away. And so what they've done is they've created, um, sometimes their habits are very disciplined as well and that like nothing is going to interrupt, for example, the morning routine that usually involves like meditation 
some you know healthy nutritious breakfast uh, and you know visualizations or affirmations or those sorts of things. Um, and what they do is they they very consistently kind of time block their days as much as they can um, so that they can get their most important stuff done and they make that a habit. Um, and so I found that that particular one really interesting because in some cases the habit was related to, for example, like taking a break during the middle of the day if they were really if they were really struggling with uh, some sort of question technical or people oriented um, about a, a problem they should solve uh, and that that specific one taking a break uh, came up over and over and over again um, and that's the one i was a little bit surprised by because i don't know about you uh, but my tendency whenever i have a problem is to just keep on banging on it until i figure it out yeah um, and so I wanted to share that with our listeners, uh, you know, even a five minute break. And if you want to know more specifics about the breaks, uh, they tended to either be movement break. So they would take a break uh, and, you know, get outside if they could, even if it was in your office parking lot uh, and take a five minute walk around or something related to deep breathing or meditation. There's like multiple free apps out there, uh, Calm and Headspace or two off the top of my head um, that you can just, you know, set some nice music for a couple of minutes and close your eyes and breathe deeply and kind of let um, your brain have a break. Oh, yeah, and, and I love uh, how you ended. And what, but, but to be honest, Stephanie, as an engineer, whatever you said towards the end doesn't make logical sense to me. You know, how yeah. can you, I mean, how can you just take a break and expect that you find solutions, right? And, and that takes me to the next question. Okay. We'd love to hear your thoughts on intuition for engineers because our logical brain wants us to keep going hard at the problem. If you don't know it, just mm -hmm. uh, figure out 10 other ways on uh, trying to do solve the same problem. But, you know, I would love to hear about your thoughts on intuition, and, you know, for engineers and why is it important? Yeah, that is, that is such an awesome, awesome question. Thank you for asking it. Um, so I believe that intuition in engineers is an underdeveloped muscle for a lot of us. Um, and, and then the reason I say muscle is similar to other parts of your brain. Uh, if you don't use it, you won't lose it completely, but you won't be able to reach your potential with it. Um, and why does that matter, right? Because as engineers, we pride ourselves on being the, the logical thinkers, the analysts. We can take all this data and make sense of it. Um, and so at first, that might be completely counterintuitive, like you just said, uh, that you wouldn't need that part. Well, it turns out from a neuroscience standpoint that our thought that we only need the logical part to make decisions and not the intuitive part is entirely wrong. Um, now, this is gonna oversimplify neuroscience. Clearly, I'm not a neuroscientist, uh, but there were some studies done on the human brain that essentially showed if you are trying to work out something that is complicated, 
uh, that there's ambiguity, meaning that maybe you don't have all the information. And, and let's face it, uh, when we're making engineering decisions, a lot of times we don't have all the information. Like we don't have every bit of data we could possibly need to make a decision right. Um, it showed that in those sorts of situations, essentially, you rely on your intuition to make the decision, and then you use your logic to back up the decision. Um, and so let me, I wanna just repeat that so we're really, really clear on what, what's happening here. So essentially you're going with some sort of, of gut feel, whether you're conscious of it or not, on how you should make the decision. And then you're going back and looking for the data, the analysis to back Absolutely. up that decision. Um, and so I think there's a huge danger in kind of saying, I'm just gonna disregard all my intuition um, because essentially what you're doing is kind of putting your head in the sand about one how how what the science of your brain is actually doing um, but you may be making decisions that aren't the best decisions for you for your team uh, if you aren't at least aware that your intuition is playing into it whether it's developed or not yeah i i think uh that's so spot on because I think most of us, at least me, myself, before I went down this coaching route, I did not have access to intuition. And even if I did, I did not trust it and I did not have awareness of it. But what you said, is, it, it hit the nail on my head, which is, uh, which is that intuition comes first. You first feel it. If you want to have an idea that's coming from a place of intuition and then you use the data to prove at what whatever the intuitive hit you had is true so very and like you said it's a super important quality because uh, that's what comes first so um what what's the most important quality to become a high performing engineer that is a great question too um one quick thing before we move on, because I feel like with the last set of intuition, we probably had some listeners yeah, who were like, I, I love talking about that. Yeah, well, we, I bet we had some listeners who were like, I used to be, and we're like, intuition, like that just does not sound like something I can do, like something I can access, like give me a practical something that I can actually do with that. Uh, right. So I just want to give one, like one or two quick tips that I found. And I will say, so like, if we go with the stereotypes, um, women are supposedly, you know, more intuitive or more tapped in, whatever you want to call that. Um, but I will say for me, like the farther I went along in my engineering career, like I feel like the more I lost the ability to tap into that intuitive part. Um, so if you're sitting there listening to this and you're like, I don't have an intuitive part, no, you are not alone in that. In, you have an intuitive part, but no, you are not alone in feeling that. Um, one of the, the first way I would use to tap into that uh, is your like mindfulness practices. So we already talked about meditation. Even five minutes has shown to have tremendous benefits. Uh, including benefits to your decision-making abilities. So remember, we just talked about the, the basically the intuitive versus the logical side of your brain. Um, even five minutes will help you make decisions. Um, journaling, uh, and specifically journaling about things you are grateful for, can also have the same effect. 
Um, so I, I know there's still listeners out there who are very skeptical about this because I was very skeptical about it as well. Um, and then I hit a point where I'm like, you know, this is going to take less than five minutes a day to do. It's completely free. What do I have to lose? And I tried it. So all I can say to those listeners is if like you truly want to be a rock star, if you want to be a high performer, if you want to get to the highest potential you possibly can, we have so many, so much evidence, so many entrepreneurs, people who make billions of dollars who will tell you that, that those mindful practices and tapping into their gut has made the difference between them failing and them succeeding beyond their wildest dreams. Try it. Um, Love it. Yeah. Okay. So let me, um, thanks for your patience while I, I answered oh, that. Oh, no. Let can, me go. Can I just say <laughs> uh, that? Because I felt there was something incomplete about my intuition. So thank you for completing that. I think that's super. The first step is like to do those mindful practices and to trust that there's something called intuition. And it really begins uh, at that point. And it is not, it doesn't, it might not make logical sense. Uh, and, and we hear this, oh, it doesn't, we hear these words are often coming out from engineers. Logically speaking, and again, you know, we're not logically speaking here. <laughs> yeah. So trust that there is something called intuition. So yeah, please uh, move on. To, I mean, if you have uh, something to share about the next question around uh, the top quality for engineers. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love this question. Um, so before I will share it, but I want to share a story first. Um, Please. So when, you know, when, I, when you go up through school, and like I said, I had a master's degree. So, you know, 12 years up in primary school. Uh, for me, it was another six years at university. Uh, and during that time frame, we are taught really well that we study, we pass a test, we get an A or BOC, <laughs> but it, we, we have a very clear path in the journey to get our degree. Yes. And we are trained, like school system does a really good job in training us to, you know, we follow step A, B, and C, we will get this outcome. Then we start working, or at least I started working, uh, and I distinctly remember my very first performance review. So I go to my performance review, I sit down with my manager, and I'm like expecting to get all this like list of feedback about what I did well, what I could improve on, like what I should do next to get to the next level. And I sit down and he goes, okay, Stephanie, what do you think you did well this year? What do you think you need to improve on? <laughs> and I was like, my jaw dropped. I'm like, oh, well, like... <laughs> I was like, uh, I'm supposed to think of this? Like, I was waiting just like school. I was waiting for somebody to tell me the next thing to do, to give me some sort of feedback. Um, and so, like, for me, it took me many years. Like, I wish I could have said at that moment, first performance review, year one, I was like, okay, I learned this. Like, I, I need to, you know, take charge of my own path. Um, but I didn't. Like, it took, me, it took me a while of, you know, I, I was definitely like the, work hard, keep your head down, keep on doing your thing, keep on doing what someone told you to do, uh, and eventually you'll get rewarded for that. Um, that did not work out well for me, uh, and that, that is why uh, one of the things I love talking about and teaching 
is how to kind of be an advocate for yourself, how to influence those around you. Um, because in, in the working world, you don't become a rock star if you are not able to influence those around you. So to circle back to your question, the biggest thing I think is critical to becoming an engineering rock star, or even, even if all you're listening to this and you're like, I just want a successful engineering career, I don't necessarily want to be a rock star, okay? To each their own. But it's owning that journey, figuring out where you want to go and advocating for yourself so you will get there and not looking at yourself as, oh, well, that manager doesn't like me. So that's why I didn't get that promotion. Just being very, you know, asking for what you want, owning that if you can't find a path at this organization, maybe you need to go to this organization or maybe you need to start your own firm. Uh, owning that owning your journey and an extreme ownership of your journey, I think is the most critical thing you need to do if you want to become an engineering rock star. Such a great point to, uh, you know, end our discussion, which is just own your career. I mean, we can all stop ourselves from progressing in career by saying, oh, the manager doesn't like me. He doesn't answer my questions. Uh, I'm not supposed to be doing this. But it's ultimately this is not a school to take you to the next level there's no clear path you have to create your path and simone morris uh says you have to be in the driver's seat of your own career so uh so stephanie you know you have you also have some amazing programs for engineers uh, the creator of the uh, you're the creator of the fearless program, the first of its kind virtual group, and you are also have this quick quick start seven step challenge program, uh, and you've been uh, interviewing and researching about uh, engineering entrepreneurs. So, would you like to share some resources that our audiences can uh, benefit from? Oh, certainly, I would love to. Um, okay, so the first resource I would say is actually. Um, my website. I think we can link to that in, in the notes. So that's engineersrising.com. Uh, we have a, a number of blogs, some free resources there um, with, like I said, always, always the goal. I love that you are helping engineers become rock stars uh, because one of my mantras in the very beginning has been we're, we're helping engineers rock their careers. Um, so we work very well together. <laughs> yes. Um, so I, that was, uh, that is the first place I would send folks. Um, so fearless is a program we created very specifically curated for women in engineering and some of the specific challenges uh, they face. Uh, we will be opening up that program again in the next month. So depending on when you listen to this podcast, uh, it should be opening up again soon, but there's a sign up to be notified for that on our site. Um, and then uh, the Engineering Influencer Bootcamp. So this is actually the very first program I created when I started my company after the book. Um, because once again, I was recognizing that there were all these, um, if I'm looking at the stuff in the book and what, if you start doing now, can you start to take your career forward faster, like hit the accelerator on it? Um, it's, it's these seven steps in that particular program. Um, so uh, that program is also currently closed, but I think it will likely be open by the time you're listening to this. So for that, if you want to go to engineeringinfluencerbootcamp.com, it'll also be linked from my website. Uh, you can find out find out more about that. Um, 
one last thing. So if, if uh, folks are uh, in the architecture, engineering, construction industry, um, I am speaking, uh, we have a great panel session at a conference, uh, it's Structures Congress, it's one of the ones for the American Society of Civil Engineers uh, coming up the first week of April and our panel discussion is all about entrepreneurship. Um, that wow. is the, the debut of that discussion, which we wanted to share. So thank you so much for asking that question. Of course, and, and uh, like you said, I will uh, put the links of all the websites you mentioned in the description of the podcast, so you can also go through uh, those links uh, by clicking on the, in, by finding them in the notes. So Stephanie, uh, any, any, before, before I let you go, in, anything else that you would like to share with our um, engineers? Yeah, I just, I just have one final thought I want to leave Please. you with, and we've, you know, I feel like we've, talked about this uh, throughout our discussion today, um, but I just, I just want everyone to understand that to go back to this high performers, engineer rock stars, they are made. Um, so anything you want to do in your career, you can do it if you set your mind to it. Um, you know, and I say that as someone, the, the first time I had to public speak professionally, I literally shook like this. Um, I was so nervous. Uh, I would never have gone on a podcast like this my first couple of years. Um, and so I just, I, I want to reiterate that for everybody out there, that, that engineering, it's such an amazing career. You can have a huge impact on the world and make a really good living doing it. Um, and so I encourage everyone, if there's something you want to do, reach for that dream, uh, reach for that so you can become an engineering rock star. And, and you are a living example of that. As I'm talking to you, I was wondering if I'm talking to a rock star who's on the stage <laughs> performing. And, and, and you're a speaker and you've written books, you have programs to help other people. And that's what you can do if you reach for your dreams and you believe that there is, uh, you have that such a wonderful uh, note to leave our audiences on, on. So thank you again so much, Stephanie, uh, for everything that you're doing and also for spending your time generously beyond this podcast to help our uh, audience. Thank you well, very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I've been having so much fun with our discussion today, uh, and I'm really excited to see the everyone listening, like taking some of the very practical things from our discussion today and incorporating that into their own, own careers. Great. Thank you, Stephanie. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Hopefully you learned some important nuggets to uncover the rock star from inside of you. If you have any questions, you can reach me on my email at aditya at whoweare.io. It's A-D-I-T-Y-A at whoweare.io.